This episode is brought to you by Netflix. Hold your carriage horses and tighten those corsets. Bridgerton is back. Longtime friends Colin Bridgerton and Penelope Featherington find themselves in quite the precarious situation. The wallflower is ready to bloom, but she needs Colin's help to find a marriage match. Has Penelope truly pushed aside her feelings for Colin? Will Colin realize his feelings before another suitor takes Penelope's hand? And will Penelope's secret identity as famed gossip writer Lady Whistledown destroy any chance she may have at love? This gentle reader can't wait to find out. Watch part one of Bridgerton, only on Netflix May 16th. A quick note before we get into the episode, Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. So good to be back. How was your weekend? It was really good. I was looking forward to today. I wanted to check in and see if you did your homework. Oh, I was just thinking about that because I didn't do it yet, you but I figured because we usually record once a week and this one was Thursday. So I feel like I have until the next session to do it. <laughs> okay. Do you know what I mean? I didn't okay. have as much time. I usually have a full week between sessions. But How many showers did you take between last session and this session? Probably four, but you know what? My neck has been hurting me. So I was like not in the mood to experiment. With a cold shower. Yeah, yes. I could see that. I sound like I'm like a student who's just making just <laughs> my foot hurts. I don't right. know. Like. <laughs> All right, fine. I had a feeling you weren't going to do it for some reason. I only had like four days and I need a longer period of time. All right. We'll give you we'll give you some more time. If you don't do it by next week, then I'll have Mike do it and then he can hop on and tell us all about his experience. I don't think Mike's going to do it. He's quite resistant to being uncomfortable. uncomfortable in water in water <laughs> in particular he won't even put his head under the water like at the beach he like well he'll go in but he doesn't like right not above the belly button <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, hot um <laughs> with the arms up the elbows right? up yeah. above the shoulders that's a, that's a sexy look it's one of the least sexy things you can do you're just like you know <laughs> Just like put, no one can see us, but you just, yeah, right. exactly what the maneuver you just did. But that's fine. I'm going to try right. it. Okay, just try it. Just honestly, there's an escape valve. Turn it down if, if it gets too cold. Honestly, try it. And if it if you don't like it, then don't try it. You know what I'm saying? Like if you get in there, think about it. And if you're not willing to do it once you're in, then we can just discuss that too. I can meet you where you're at. Okay. With your resistance on that. Do you do this? I try to do it like once a week. Um, I don't do it every shower that I'm in, but I have to remember to do it. But I really try to do it on occasion. And since, you know, I'm not into cold water either. The kids will tell you, like, I don't get in the pool if it's lower than 90 degrees in the pool. Oh, wow. Yeah. I like warm water. But then sometimes I will get in, not because I want to, but just because I want to do this exercise in like breathing into my discomfort. So. I don't do it for the, I don't go in when it's cold for the joy of it. I go in for the challenge and the mental moment to breathe into my discomfort. So um, yeah, it's not easy for me either. I don't, I really don't like cold water. Or just being uncomfortable. I feel like your threshold for being uncomfortable is definitely a spectrum. You know what I think it is? People's perceptions of other people's threshold for being uncomfortable is oftentimes just how verbal you are about your discomfort. So it's like, if I'm going to tell you a lot about how uncomfortable I am, then I'm going to seem really uncomfortable. But some people are really uncomfortable. They just don't 
share it with everybody. That's true. Maybe everyone has is similarly uncomfortable and some people are just more annoying than others. Is basically what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) Some people like to spew their discomfort and like misery loves company and just kind of get everybody on board feeling badly for them. And some people just suffer in silence. What is the best mid-range level? Let's go with a scenario, right? Okay. You're at a restaurant in the winter, Mm -hmm. right? And you get seated. You get seated fairly quickly. The table that they seat you at is right next to the door. Mm -hmm. And there's cold air kind of like coming in. You kind of feel like you need to wear your jacket for this whole thing. Right. Do you say something or do you just wear the jacket and let it go? That's sort of the persistent thought process that i have about most things it's like do i just get over it and like it's fine or do i you know what i'm gonna say something right (laughs) right right and i do think it is sort of indicative of how you handle discomfort you know is it like this external like i think we've talked about here like an external locus of control meaning like do i want to try to change the outside environment to make myself feel better or do i want to try to change my internal environment to make myself feel better which is like the shower example so if you're cold at the restaurant you could just be like okay i'm going to put on my jacket i'm going to breathe i'm going to distract myself and think about other things or i'm going to change the external by saying hey can we get a different table or you know same right. thing with like returning food. Like if you get a drink and you ask for a spicy margarita, it's like a little too spicy. You're like, okay, am I just gonna like kind of quietly drink this and like take a bite of food after every sip or am I gonna return it? I feel like it's sort of a back and forth of, of like, do I want to be annoying or do I want to be a sucker? Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, why should I get t- seated at this table? The, like right. the worst table. Why should right. I, you know what I mean? Why should I drink this if I don't like it? Totally. Like versus you're that person that's just super annoying. And I guess the question you have to ask yourself is like, am I the person who's complaining about everything and actually being very difficult to deal with? Or am I a normal person with the normal need thinking about this rationally? Right. right. And sometimes you're not sure. <laughs> right. Well, you know, what? I think another way yeah. to think about it is like, what am I trying to work on? Right. So if you are already leaning towards the side of like, not being able to tolerate things that are not going your way, then maybe you lean more towards like, I'm just going to breathe into this and relax into this discomfort. But if you're the type of person who generally has a hard time being assertive or has a hard time saying what they need or feels like you often get walked over, then maybe you want to push yourself towards, you know, doing a little exposure and being more assertive. So like figure out like what's, I'm always a big fan of like, figure out what's going against the grain for you a little bit. And if you want self-growth and change and balance, maybe you can push yourself against your grain a little bit in these types of situations. Or if you feel like you have great balance, then just trust your instincts and do what comes naturally. But some people will say, I have a hard time being assertive. Okay, so let's practice being assertive. What does great balance look like in this situation? When you see a person interacting with someone trying to get what they want, and you're like, that was a very balanced normal person with, you know, who's in the right in the middle of being able to express their needs, but not annoying, as we say. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. I think sometimes what it might look like is like how, again, coming back to the physical activation in your body, like how physically activated are you by this thing? And like, can you patiently wait until your physical activation kind of comes down before you make your decision. So like that's a training process is like 
not being impulsive, not acting immediately. Like for the person who's conflict avoidant or has trouble being assertive, if the waitress comes over and is like, oh, are you guys cold? Would you like a new table? And you're like, no, 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 it's fine. Just because you're like, just impulsively acting on your need to please other people. Right. Versus the person who's like calmly breathing and saying, take a deep breath and say, you know what? Actually, it is a little chilly over here. Is there another table available? You know, so I think just kind of the balance comes in being able to breathe, stay calm and make sort of a calm, intentional decision versus like an impulsive, I need to make myself feel better right now because this feeling is so uncomfortable that I can't tolerate. That's true. You do think about that in most interactions. Like when you look at them from the outside, you're like, the person who looks the best in this scenario is the one that is not screaming. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And you see anyone else fighting. It's always totally. the person that's like the most activated that you think of as kind of losing just by right. just by their nature of, of the way that the person they've become. Totally. It's hard. You know, and I feel bad for those people too, which is why, you know, sometimes that comes from stuffing stuff down for so long that you explode. So that person could be the person who's just like not assertive, not assertive, not assertive, and then blows their top. But usually, you know, it's the same people that are right making a stink at most events or the person that has no problem calling the waiter over and sending the food back. Oh, you don't like that? Hold on a second. Right. I'll you know? t- almost they want to do it. Right. <laughs> right. Like I'll take care of this. I'm just imagining like a Zen monk at the table. It's oh, like, yeah. That's who you would, would imagine would be the most stable. Yeah, probably not the one sending the food back, you know, to be honest. They're probably That's just true. like, okay, I'm grateful. I have some food here. They're probably leaning towards the, the quieter person. Acceptance, yes. acceptance. Yes, acceptance. Okay. Well, we could all work on that, you know, as these things come up. But I agree with you, what you said. It's It's practice. Practice. And like going against, like if you want balance, you most people know which way they're leaning right? And especially people who have like a huge leaning towards like anger and impulsivity, like those people can lean really hard the other way before they're going to be too complacent. And the people that are super complacent and eager to please can lean really hard in the direction of like assertiveness before they're going to be like aggressive and confrontational. Do you feel like assertiveness and aggression is also sort of correlated to the need for control? Oh, yeah, for sure. Trying to control your environment. Like it does feel like if you're quieter or if you don't say stuff as much, you're just, you're less concerned with having control over your situation. Right. And just more able to accept the world as it is coming in. Look, I'll admit I have a bias in that direction just because of my own, you know, theoretical orientation and mindfulness training and acceptance and all of that. I will admittedly have a bias towards accepting a situation instead of jumping in and trying to change it and control it. And I don't think sometimes that's not beneficial for people who might be in situations where they're being taken advantage of or things like that. But I do think that most of the time when you're being extremely aggressive or assertive on most issues, it's because you're having a hard time tolerating whatever's happening. And the world's just going to happen. The world is going to happen. There's going to be lots of stuff all the time that don't that doesn't go the way you want it to. That's true. It's probably easier to just learn how to do it within your own body and mind versus needing to try to control the external environment because that's just like... That's true. Impossible. Yeah. Although I guess some some circumstances call for it, but in most cases, like you said, 
there's this thing, I think Malcolm Gladwell calls it the default to truth, which is that like most people, their default is to believe whatever the person that they're speaking to is telling them. Right. So the waiter's like, we actually don't have any other tables. I'm sorry. Like most people are going to be like, okay. Right. Whereas, and it's, that's almost like a nicer life. Yes. Than to constantly be like thinking that you're getting scammed or that totally. you're, you know what I mean? That you're poking a hole, like you, you don't believe anyone. Right. Because even if let's say, you know, let's say one out of 10 times you're right. Right. And you like found the guy who was lying and you figured out that he was lying and you called him out and you got the table. Mm-hmm. Sitting at that better table is probably not worth all of the mental exercises that you had to do and the worrying and the thinking that you were doing the whole time to catch somebody one out of 10 times. Right. And most people don't really put that in the equation of their overall happiness. Because that does take away from it. I just don't think people realize it. It's either like I won or I lost. Yes. There's a mental cost to it. You know, how much time you're spending investigating, mistrusting. You're now, instead of being at your dinner, like enjoying the conversation, you're watching the other people come in and the empty tables and like who's being sat where. It's like, Right. You've really taken away from your meal. Totally. I agree. Okay. Well, let's get into our episode. Guys, if you have an email or a situation that you would like our take on, ethical, just a general life problem, email oversharing at com, or you can call our voicemail at 646-363-6294. I have a good voicemail that I saved for our next episode, but it could be you guys just... It's great to hear your voice as yeah, you I'm excited to hear that. as you say these. But that'll be for next week. But if you have a voicemail, again, 646-363-6294. Or if you prefer writing, you can email us at oversharing at Betches.com. Spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up. Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and get ready for summer. I take their yoga classes at least twice a week. I also love their core classes. I love that I can take it anywhere I go. If I'm traveling, I can always do a class. You can filter the classes by ones that don't need any equipment. I'm looking to get healthy. I'm looking to like feel good. And Peloton just makes it so easy. Peloton accommodates your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, Peloton has classes for you giving you the flexibility you need to move your body. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. If you can't run, take a walking class. If you want to level up, go to their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Or try yoga if you just need to ground yourself. Move at your own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out so you can jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day. Peloton has everything you need to get where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I've been to therapy for many years, and I have to say, whenever I'm going through something really tough, therapy is the way out for me. It helps me like break down the issue, get to the heart of it, and figure out ways to cope with whatever is stressing me out. Nothing has transformed my life quite as much as my therapy experience. I can't recommend therapy enough, and BetterHelp is a great way into it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overshare today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overshare. Let's get into today's email. By the way, if you want to leave us a voicemail or you want to leave us your own email about an irritating moment, you can email Oversharing at Betches.com or you can call 646 646- Three six three six two nine four, and leave us a voicemail about the time that you were very irritated in your day-to-day <laughs> life or anything else that you guys think of. All right, let's do it. Okay. Dear Jordana and Dr. Naomi, hello from Canada. Love a Canadian fan. Yeah. Thanks for all you do and providing me with a little therapy sessions that I didn't realize I needed. I have a relationship quandary I'm hoping you can help me with. I have a group of girlfriends from my middle school days that I'm still very close with. We're now in our mid-20s and two girls from the group are getting married soon. I'm in the bridal party for both weddings. This made me think about who I wanted to invite to my own wedding, which is only a couple years away if all goes well. Fingers crossed emojis. I Better love get that guest list ready <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's funny that the emotional masturbation, as I like to call it, that goes into like the idea of weddings that like two years in advance, you're thinking about like, who's going to be cut from your wedding guest list. <laughs> I feel like most men are not in that. Mindset. Oh, not even close. Yeah. There's one girl in the group. Let's call her Anne that I don't quite get along with when we are all together. Anne and I are friendly, but I don't consider her my friend back in middle school. She teased me about my pudgier body, which I've never really got over. More recently, she's done some questionable things like leaving me at the airport with our ride because she didn't know where I was, quote unquote, after I told her I was going to the restroom. On the same trip, she checked into our returning flight without me purposely and left me to sit by myself on the other side of the plane. I know it's purposeful because we agreed to check in together and get seats together later in the evening and she gathered everyone else to do it while I was showering. I guess you could say we have some unresolved issues that we never properly communicated. And maybe I should talk to her, but I have talked to other girls in my group about this, and they obviously don't have a problem with her since she's also in the bridal party for both of the weddings I mentioned earlier. I guess my question is, am I obligated to invite her to my wedding? (laughs) Hypothetical (laughs) wedding in two years. (laughs) If she was any other acquaintance, I wouldn't even consider her. But just the fact that she's in our tight friend group makes the decision harder. If she didn't invite me to her wedding, I'd probably be a little sad only because all of our other friends in the group would be going and I would be left out again. Sincerely obligated batch. All right. I think this is an interesting question. Again, not because of the actual question about whether or not she should invite this girl to her wedding. And I don't really think it's about that. I think it's about bigger picture. Does she have to maintain this friendship with this person in any way? And it really made me think about when, and especially for women, but men also to an extent When you're starting in middle school, and it's funny that they met in middle school, starting in middle school, there's almost this thing that happens where girls have to find their pack to sort of survive. It's like a survival instinct to find a pack of girls that are going to protect you, that are going to make sure you have plans, that are going to make sure you're not eating alone at lunch, that are going Mm -hmm. to make sure nobody's making fun of you. It's almost this very animalistic social instinct thing. That happens probably around, you know, 12 or 13, and then lasts a long time, all the way up through college. Like even in sorority, I mean, you could speak more to sorority. Yes. So this is actually this. They're out of college. So I think it's an interesting discussion to think about 
how to, if you want to, and then how to shift out of this protective hack mentality that probably it's fun and it's great and it's, you know, does provide this protection in a lot of ways. But then as you mature, you start to feel more confident in yourself. You start to feel less scared of the social world around you. And then maybe you can sort of separate a little bit and know like, I'm okay by myself. I don't need this pack. And if I, she sounds like she's the first one that's potentially going to be excommunicating herself, I guess we could say. But it sounds like she likes the other girls, just not this one girl within. Right. But I guess she's like, she's going to crack the pack, so to speak. That's true. That's right. She's the first one that's going to kind of say like, this isn't an all or nothing scenario for me, Mm -hmm. which is one of the first steps, I think. And a lot of women, myself included, and I don't know about you, but at some point, somebody's going to create a crack in the armor of this protective pack. And it's going to probably trigger some people because there is that safety in that group. And I also think, I mean, I can relate to the uh, listener in that I've had, I've had this come up. And I think that if you're the person with the problem with one other person in the group, it can be tough because you're like, it's like, why are you like messing with this thing that is like historical? Right. Do you know what I mean? It's because there's so much history. It almost feels like you need to have a built-in loyalty to people or that because historically you were friends in name or in practice, then it feels like like much more aggressive to be like, I'm drawing a line in the sand rather than just like continuing to somewhat maintain this, this friendship. Right. Like you're doing something that's like bigger than your, like almost like a disrespectful thing perhaps to this, right. the history. And well, it's like if your mom, if it's almost like if you, if you get into a fight with your sister and you're not speaking, then it's like, okay, now like what's Christmas going to be like? Right. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you've made it weird for everyone because you have created a, you know, you've drawn this line, even if it's like you've silently been irritated with each other for a while, that can sometimes feel more comfortable than like you've drawn this line. It's now established. You're not friends. And now because we're going to see each other at all these group events, you've made it weird for everyone. And I've been the one to make it a little weird for everyone. Oh, really? Yeah. By saying how I actually feel. Wow, good for you. Interesting. So would you care to share a little bit of personal experience on how you kind of put a crack in the pack, so to speak? Yeah. So, I mean, in this case for the listener, which I didn't feel, she feels like the person, what it seems like, has like wronged her on many occasions or something like that. Or she thinks of a time that the person was just not, was being a bad friend to her, right? In my case, I think it was more that I just felt like I wasn't really connected to this childhood friend that I had, that we were close at an earlier stage of our lives, but we kind of had grown into people who just didn't really connect anymore. Right. It's funny. I was thinking the same thing. Like, it's almost, it's okay to say with a boyfriend or a date, or it's not a match. But sometimes with right. a friend, it's like, it's not a match anymore. It's just, and, you know, I don't want to have to fake it. Right. And for me, I was kind of like, I am happy to see this person at group events and do that thing. And again, this is a little bit different than the listener situation. But for me, it was more, they wanted to do more one-on-one hangouts Mm -hmm. or get togethers, or I think they had a feeling like I was like, they were closer to me and I just didn't feel close to them. I wasn't as enjoyable for me to, but we had this larger friend group, right? I was 
torn as to like whether or not to just let it go and not say anything and just let it be and just kind of again silently be feeling disconnected or to say something and i wound up saying something because the person noticed my pullback or my not being as engaged or not answering texts as quickly or as enthusiastically as uh-huh. as they and because they asked i said something i said i just i don't really feel as I appreciate the historic, like that we've been friends since childhood and that like I, you did absolutely nothing wrong. I just feel like we've grown kind of apart and we have different ways of viewing the world. And I just don't really feel like we connect that much. And that was a very, I think that was a very painful thing to, for her to hear. And sometimes I regret even saying it because I'm right. kind of like, couldn't I have just gone to brunch and right, like right. baked it? Do you know what I mean? And not been, because it's not like a relationship where like you can't, meet other friends it's like an exclusive thing like i could have just done that but on the other hand i'm kind of like if the person asked yes then they probably want to know right but i don't think that she really wanted to know (laughs) right yeah that's so hard she was probably just trying to you know see if she could you know make things better but if you ask the question you have to be kind of prepared right for the answer yeah and i mean what that did was like you said crack the friend group a little bit to where you know at other people's weddings where she was there and i was where it became kind of weird it became right. like a little awkward we were like a group of a certain number of girls and then we were kind of again like i think that started the nature of like we're a friend group but we also are more it's the more important thing within the friend group is the individual relationships we each have with each other and then the group is like a nice thing for like a group dinner every now and then or like you know, your was in a it wedding always like that when you were younger? Was it about the individual friendships that you had with each person within the group, or when you were younger, would you say it was more about like gr- the group? Or you think it's much more been- about the group, especially as there's much more group things that are like it's funny because I feel like after college, there's way less group, there's no like built in group things where you need to have a group 100% until like you get married. And then it's right. like, name your five best friends yes. and they will be <laughs> in your totally. wedding party. So it becomes like, do you know what I mean? That's before that you have like sororities or you have, you know, who's going to be in your prom limo or we're going to take pictures with it. Like prom, who am I going to stand with at graduation? Like there's all these life events that I think the, the group dynamic is a lot more built into. Summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got the most beautiful silk skirt from Quince. I am so excited to wear it. It fits amazing. It is so well-priced for the high quality it is. It looks so expensive, but it's actually quite affordable. Quince has amazing items like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14-karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, so you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash oversharing for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash oversharing to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash oversharing. 
If you're like me and your CD organizer was filled with, now that's what I call, discs that your dad literally burned for you, you're a millennial. And if you're a millennial, it's time to add Clarins Multi-Active Cream to your daily routine. I have been using the Multi-Active Cream for a few weeks now, and I can already tell the difference. This cream does it all. It makes my fine lines and my pores look smaller, and my skin actually feels hydrated, which is really important for these like in-between seasons. I actually love all of their products. I'm a huge Clarins fan. I've been using them for years. You've been adulting a while, so the daily stress of trying to keep your life together can cause stress aging. Yeah, it's a thing. The good news, Europe's number one skincare line has a solution you can trust. Rooted in nature and innovated with science, Clarins has a long legacy of creating industry-first, plant-forward products. Using a skin charger complex made of 2% niacinamide and C. holly bio-extract, Clarins Multi-Active Cream has been clinically proven to target the first visible signs of aging by smoothing lines and wrinkles, refining pores, evening tone, and texture, and strengthening the skin's moisture barrier. While multi-active cream can bring back the golden age of boy bands, it can de-stress your skin. Go to Clarins.com slash oversharing and get multi-active day and night cream for 10% off, a free welcome gift, plus free shipping on your first order. That's C-L-A-R-I-N-S dot com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. Clarins.com slash oversharing with promo code oversharing. Do you think if you could go back, you would make the same choice with this friend? Uh, I think about that a lot mm-hmm. because when I think about her, I don't like miss her necessarily. I'm not like, mm-hmm. oh, I miss that friendship. But I am like, I feel bad that I hurt someone that right. they now are walking around like the world having pretty negative feelings about me. Yeah. I don't like the, you know what I mean? It kind of feels like if you broke up with, if you broke up with a guy and then you're kind of like this person just thinks of me in an unfavorable way. Right. She did mean a lot to me in the fact that we had a lot of history together. Mm-hmm. But that was really, it's kind of like when that I look back at it, is. that was all there was. There was the history of when we were 12 we were hanging out after school every right. day, but like, right. we're not, you know, people are constantly changing and I don't feel like I'm the same person that I was when I was 12. Totally. And neither is she. Yeah. And I guess it's a very personal decision and it has to do with where you are in your life in terms of whether you're willing to just like do the occasional brunch thing just to maintain the friendship and not make it weird. Or if someone's asking, you want to tell them the truth about, how you right. feel. So and and I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. I do think these weddings like this writer is saying kind of brings everything to a head except for her where her wedding's not for 2 years, but for <laughs> hypothetical you know, wedding, uh, she's not engaged. <laughs> but most people that is a place where it kind of can call out those types of situations. I mean, to get to her question, I think I would say let's say her wedding was soon and she was about to send out the invitations i mean you know i think she has a right to do whatever she wants and i do think at some point you can do what you did which is say like i don't really want to fake this anymore i want to be able to just be honest and move forward with the friendships that are meaningful because i'm Mm -hmm. getting married i have a lot going on i have work maybe down the road you have kids like how much time do you have barely have time for your real genuine friendships at some point in life let alone have time to just do the pity brunch Well, that's the other part of this, too, is like, you know, when you're 12, all you have is free time. Exactly. When you're 35 and you have kids or something like, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of have to be a lot more. You can't just do things because. Right. You know. Yeah, you're not going to get a babysitter and pay a babysitter or ask your husband to watch just to go to a brunch that you don't even want to go to. So I do get that. But flip side, 
if everyone in this group is being invited, I think to exclude one person, what is it really going to cost you to invite this one extra person just so she doesn't feel like she's the only one that's not invited? Unless it was something that happened that was horrific, you know, like a real disloyal, disrespectful. And some of this stuff is really not nice that the friend did to her. So I could, I could see that. My feeling is throw her the invite just so she's not the only person in the group that's not included in a big event like a wedding. And then after that, I think you can skip the brunches and all the little nitty gritty parts of it. Right. Well, I think in this case, the wedding has become now the the outlet for saying what she really feels. But yes. she's saying this is in two years. Like she could, on the other hand, not wait two years to make her statement and confront this person now. Do you know what I mean? If she, but it doesn't sound, it sounds like she doesn't think it's worth it. To me, it sounds like she's kind of like, I don't want to rock the boat for no reason. Right. But I don't really like this person. Right. And like you're saying, maybe she's fantasizing, I think, because the wedding is so far away. She's fantasizing about using the wedding as an opportunity to express that she's not happy with this girl and she no longer wants to be friends with her. Right. And I just think like, Two years is a long time to wait if that's your true feeling. But again, right. if, if the other person's on the same page, it can be a little easier. Totally. But I think why not the next time one of, she does an action, like she's saying, if, if it's about the action, if it's about something that is annoying you or something mean spirited, next time she does something mean spirited, call her out. It's a little bit of a more mature way to me of like dealing with this instead of kind of waiting to like weaponize totally your wedding and also like who wants to think about on your wedding about like the anxiety that you'd have about like is she find out that she's not invited is she mad at me like is she gonna right. be talking to the other friends about me like totally it sounds like a little more dramatic than it would have to be whereas opposed to if you're all doing a group trip and she does something rude to you or something like that That'd be a great opportunity to be like, why do you keep doing these kinds of things to me? Like, it feels very mean and hurts my feelings. Totally. Yeah, I think, I mean, communication is always the first best step. And there's a potential that maybe they would have a conversation that might be healing in some way. And they could, you know, she could feel better about it afterwards. It does seem, I mean, the way she describes some of this does seem like maybe this was intentional, like leaving her out and planning that the seats on the flight while she was, you know, somewhere else or one while she was showering, the other one left her while she was in the restroom. Like, I think maybe there is something that this other person, she's also perhaps trying to passive aggressively express something. It's maybe, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Communication, I think, like you said, would be the best first step. And especially if she gives her another reason, like you said, and then at that point, then you'll see which direction it takes. Either it'll be healing and you can kind of tolerate her, you know, in big groups. This isn't even an issue of her getting together alone. I don't even think that's part of the conversation. It's just the wedding thing, which is far away. And like you said, I think it's just a way for her to fantasize removing this person from the friendship. Right. And I mean, weddings are kind of the last obligatory large. Right. After that, you probably never have to see her again if you don't want to. Yeah. When all that's done. But I just think when you when you kind of like save up resentments and then use a wedding to like and you I think you see this a lot with family dynamics, like who's gonna walk me down the aisle? Who's gonna give a speech? And then you use the wedding as like a way to like again draw a line in the sand. It be, creates a lot more drama around the wedding. Again, this person isn't even getting married. It was like a uh big Jewish 
mother thing about like who's sitting near the band at the bat mitzvah. And right. They put me and they put this person they put me on here. this. Right. They yeah. put this person here and they put that person there. And it was like, I think in the old days, it was like an, where you sat someone at the wedding was like an expression of your feelings towards them. So it's yeah. interesting how these big events can be. Which is why sometimes they end up sort of disastrous because it's That's like a saying, yeah. big passive aggressive playing field where you could just get all you have the power, you're planning the party, I'm going to get it all out. That's what I'm saying. And then like it, then it becomes this huge dramatic thing where it's like, oh, she didn't invite her. Which now like what's going to happen next? Like she doesn't get the invitation. Then it's like all this drama leading up to it or she messages you or she's kind of like because not inviting someone to your wedding is a huge line right. to be drawn totally. in the sand. Uh, or, you know, for some people, not making someone a bridesmaids, not choosing them as the maid of honor. Like, right. these are all, like, for, in some ways, it's like, they are stupid, but also they're not stupid because they are kind of, a wedding forces you to, like, rank the importance yes. of people in your life. Totally, totally. And again, I'll put it out there for people you don't have to do that if you don't want to, <laughs> you know, like there's no rules that you have to pick bridesmaids and maid of honor and all this stuff. If you don't want to do that and you think it's going to cause drama or be hurtful, you could just have everybody there and pick a few people to give speeches or whatever it is that you want to do. So sometimes I think people feel like they have to do this and it's all optional. Totally. You should do whatever feels like the most natural. Like if there's an obvious choice for like, Oh, I very obvious to me that these are the, people that i want as bridesmaids or it's very obvious that my only sister would be my maid of honor then like i think that that makes sense but if it feels like stressful then just don't do it you don't actually have to do it like you said totally or even just thinking outside the box maybe this is a conversation to have on betch's brides but like you know if you want to give someone let them wear the dress that's in the color scheme and then your pictures look great because there's more people at the party that are you know and in, in with the color scheme it's kind of decorative for your event and it makes them feel included but you don't necessarily have to have a 20 minute procession of all of your friends walking down the aisle like right. just thinking outside the box of how to include somebody and make them feel special without necessarily doing something that's going to affect right the size unless you're of like your this person party. and you're trying right. to make them you're going out of your way to make them feel right. unspecial right. you've been thinking about how sweet it's going to be to make them feel unspecial for years totally the long game we've all been there you have a question about your credit card you call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if only you had a discover card with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right a real person get the customer service you deserve with discover Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly has a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There's no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or you just need to take a break. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. 
Get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code OVERSHARING20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code OVERSHARING20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code OVERSHARING20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. And we are back and ready to play our triggered segment. But before we get into that, I want to introduce our podcast first ever guests. We've never had guests before. We're so excited to have them. They have an amazing, amazing podcast. It's called Almost 30, which they started in their 20s, now in their 30s. And it's such a good show. If you guys haven't listened, check it out. And if you're already fans, you're going to be even more excited to hear them today. We have Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsick, who are here with us today. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks what for a dream. Us. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. And I'm so excited about the new show. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I love your show. I, I feel like there's so much like of a similar vibe of like exploring, you know, yourself and your own personal growth and the things that hold us back. So I feel like our audiences definitely will have a similar sense of like loving what you guys do. And I, what we wanted to talk about today was you guys talk about a lot the sacredness of being single. And Naomi, I'll let you kind of exp- like talk about what you've seen in with your patients in therapy about this topic, because I know it was something I really struggled with. But I'm Married now, but I was single like for the majority of my 20s and had a lot of issues with it. I would feel I would say a lot of discomfort with being single. So Naomi, do you want to talk to like what you kind of experience with your with your patients? Sure. I was so excited to have you two on because it is something that I think it's a whole societal problem. And we talked, Jordana, last um, I think it was our last recording that we did about how all these major life events are really around finding a partner and getting married and having children and all these celebrations. And there's not a lot of celebrations for people that got a promotion or things that are just individual accomplishments. So I think that part of society makes it difficult for people to ease into their, find that sacredness of being single. And I love just that terminology. So I really wanted to pick your brains in terms of what that's like, because I talk to a lot of women and men, but I will say women more probably because of all the societal pressures that have a really hard time finding peace in that and finding there's like this major fear of I'm never going to meet my person. I'm going to be behind the timeline of when you have to meet your person to, you know, to live your dream. So I would love to hear what you guys have to say so I can bring it back and help my patients with it. So help me help everybody. Yeah, it's a season that changed my life. And I don't say that lightly. I was single for seven years. Those seven years were about 25, six to 32, 33. I hope I did the math right. But I resisted it for so long. I entered into my single season not knowing that I would be single for that long and immediately started serial dating. I was sleeping with a lot of people. I was drinking a lot. I was partying. I was really numbing out in order to not feel what I was feeling, which was deep grief over a breakup that I had with who I thought I would marry. 
Um, I was dealing with uh, the shame and guilt I had around cheating on this person. And I really, I didn't find reprieve or find peace until about halfway through my single season. And I think I got to that point because I got so tired of searching outside of myself for the answers, for the person, for the validation, for the peace, for the happiness. And I started to spend time with myself kind of forcefully. I was like, you know what, Lynn's like, you're not going out this Friday night. We're going to cook. We're going to stay in. And you're really going to start dating yourself because what you're doing isn't working. And it started this incredible awakening of sorts where I, I just like touched the softness within myself that I loved and I had compassion for and I really understood was the essence of who someone eventually would love too, but I had to love it myself first. So um, I would take solo trips. I really uh, got into meditation and my journaling practice and just really enjoying my life because I find that a lot of women who are single right now and are searching for the one are not enjoying their lives. They're kind of putting it on hold until they meet the person. And I realized that me in my happiness, in being as present as possible was so magnetic and so attractive. And so I got to the point where I was like, I think I'm good by myself. I'm actually good. Like if this is it, I'm happy. And that's kind of when it ended up happening where I met uh, met the person that I'm engaged to now. And it's, yeah, it's just, um, it's so much about the journey back to self and it will truly change your life if you choose it. That's amazing. I feel like that's what you like in your mind of like, the most ideal setting of being single that you could get to that's kind of where you want to be but i think it's so many people struggle with it and also i think another thing that plays into it when you're feeling that way or when you're feeling uncomfortable being by yourself or you know just wor constantly worrying about if you're going to meet someone is this sense of like is my time running out or like it's because women you know unfairly have this sense of okay like I want to have a family. I want to like also, I want to be in the same stages as my friends and I want to get there. But then you have this fear of what if I, I don't get it or what if I get it too late? And then I, you know, there's like the, the biological clock, which is always this thing in the back of your head. Did you ever have moments of that even in your state of, you know, feeling like you were like loving yourself and being single? Um, yes, for sure. Yeah, I definitely felt like I was kind of losing time. I would go into every grocery store and like prepare to meet my person and like try to anticipate that because I did feel the pressure. I did feel um, like, wow, I thought I was going to be married at 27, have kids by 30 and get this show on the road. But God is hilarious and had better plans. You know, Krista and I in that uh, seven year period or six years built almost 30. You know, it was something that I was meant to pour into. And I'm sure, you know, I am curious, Krista, like how you feel about that biological clock um, with like just our lives and what we do and just how it's kind of changing. You know, I, I feel like some women are putting that off for career and but it doesn't go away. I do think it is absolutely like on a cellular level, something that we feel and shouldn't feel shame around feeling. Yeah, I feel like with so many people in our community and the women that we work with and the women we support, it's like just finding these ways to like look outside of ourselves and to put more pressure on ourselves and our lives and 
someone, you know, I got married last May, so I've been married for a year. And what I've also realized is that we have all this pressure to be married, to find the person. And the pressure just sort of continues unless we are mindful of how we're living our lives. So I could essentially be right now like, okay, when are we going to have kids? When are we going to be in a house? When are we going to move, get our second house? You know, it's the if then mentality. And we always have to be mindful when we're in that. And I was someone that did that for so long. If I don't find my purpose, I'm not going to be happy. If I'm not, you know, doing what I love all the time, I'm not going to be happy. And that sort of mindset can really filter out and you know, being someone that's married now, it's like, yes, it is an effort. You're like, I want to find that person, but life doesn't end when you find the person. And then when you find the person, you have to work on the relationship and maintain trust and intimacy. And, you know, the work really just begins actually when you find the person. It's not like you find the person and you can just like relax and like life is all good and, you know, no more problems exist in the world. It's like, you have to prepare yourself and be ready and enjoy obviously that time together with the love of your life hopefully but there is more work to be done once you get in a relationship so it's not like smooth sailing forever totally. that's a great point yeah <laughs> and i talk to a lot of people about that just in terms of trying to accept acceptance of whatever is happening right now because when you're constantly looking for the next thing all the way to the point where you're like okay you know where, which retirement home am I going to live in? And do I have friends there? And are my kids coming to visit me? And Sophie's kids are visiting her three times a week and my kids are only visiting me once a week. And, you know, you could do it for the rest of your entire life. Do this thing where you want something different than whatever it is that you have. So I would love, you know, I think that you're both really good role models because I, oh, sometimes I'll have patients do an exercise where I'll say, visualize that person that embodies what it is that you're looking to be, like that friend that just has the confidence, that friend that can accept what life is throwing, that can accept being single or can accept, you know, whatever's going on. And I'll have them sort of just visualize that person. But I feel like a lot of people have trouble finding that because sometimes in friend groups, there's almost this contagious, when you're all talking about the same things and one person's, you know, FOMO, like if I don't go out on Saturday night, she's going to meet her person and I'm going to be home watching Netflix and I'm not going to meet my person. And there's this contagious kind of anxiety rush, not acceptance thing. So I would love to have, you know, I think it's great that you can be sort of a role model for, you know, maybe in the beginning from age 25, you know, whenever you started those first few years when you were fighting it, you were in it, but then made that transformation. Maybe you could speak a little bit more. I saw something that you talk about how discipline, having discipline in your life can kind of lead to some of those changes. So I don't know if, if that played a part in kind of how you make that switch. We talk a lot about, or I talk a lot about meditation and using that as a way to find like acceptance, but maybe you can talk about like the nitty gritty bits of how you made that switch. You know, I, I know you talked about like spending time with yourself, but in that moment when you're thinking, you know, I'm going to be left behind or I'm low, I'm so lonely, even just like, I'm so lonely. I want someone to be intimate with physically and emotionally. Like what were the, I know it's a tough question, but what are the little steps that you kind of can take to get there? Yeah. And I think that keyword is like the little steps, like they really do compound over time. I had a vision at one point of witnessing myself in these small practices and moments where I would either redirect my thoughts or I would sit down to journal or I would just cry. 
And I saw myself and I saw or felt really like the importance of it. I don't know what that, it was kind of like a dream. It was like a weird state, but I say that because, you know, it is a lifelong relationship you have with yourself, with your soul. We talk a little woo woo on almost 30. So the self, like that inner knowing. And so the ways in which that I've gotten to know her and grown closer to her and just really trusted her more is through things like when I feel that intense emotion of like, oh my God, when am I going to meet him? That grief, I, I would cry. Like I felt it so deeply. I would just be like on the floor crying and I would let her cry. It's important to let it rip because these emotions are impermanent. And also to shift the way I'm really judging or feeling about the emotion. The truth is the emotion is telling me that, wow, I have the capacity to feel this deeply. How beautiful is that gonna be in my future relationship? Or perhaps I'm feeling this deeply because he's close, you know? so. There were ways in which in those moments where I felt like the tsunami of emotion was taking me over that I could let it rip, pause, take a breath and be like, wait, what's the truth here? The truth is I'm okay. Mm -hmm. The truth is I'm on my path. And the truth is that, wow, this is the, a depth of emotion that like I'm really thankful to be feeling. Other practices involve having conversations with friends um, who were in relationships that I really admired. And I find a lot of women are avoidant of being around people who are in healthy or, or relationships that they would like to be in or talking to people who are in relationships because it makes them jealous or it makes them feel a type of way, which I can completely understand. And I find that, you know, my true self really wanted to absorb and get close to what it feels like to be in those types of relationships. So I would ask questions and just really observe and note like, huh, I love that. I love that they talk to each other like that. Or, you know what, actually that rubs me the wrong way. And I would just kind of orient myself so that I had confidence going into the next relationship, confidence in knowing what I want and what I don't want. And again, this is really the relationship with self that was building over time because when this person comes into your orbit, you're gonna be having like this double team collaboration between you and your inner self, your soul, where you're like, yeah, actually that feels really good. I wanna, I wanna take the next right action to get maybe closer to this person, talk to this person. It's not gonna be the mind, it's going to be more so in your heart. It's interesting that you say like leaning into people who are in good relationships, because I really think there was probably a lot of good work done just by not avoiding that you know, just by forcing yourself to be in that and like tolerate that because a lot of times it can turn into like poisonous jealousy and not being happy for your friends, which I get. I'm not saying that that's like means you're an evil person if you're not happy for your friends or you have moments of jealousy. But I think exposing yourself to that and forcing yourself to kind of sit in that was probably helpful, I could imagine. Yeah, and I will say, I remember, you know, the idea where you were talking about when you're with a group of friends and then, you know, everyone's like, when am I going to get engaged? And there's kind of this like consciousness around it. I remember my husband saying to me one time, we were like having an argument and I was like, when are you going to propose? And we were together for eight or so years before he proposed. And I've never been stressed to get married. I've never felt like in a rush. I've always felt like it would happen at the perfect time. 
But I found myself being like, when are you going to propose? And he's like, do you even care? Like, you've never cared or like been stressed. And I would be like, who's talking? Like, I would even be like, I don't, I don't know who's like talking right now. Like, I would just get in this mode of being like, what about this? And he's like, are you possessed by like the engagement like demon? I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Cause it, so it's something that I think we all really tap into as women and it is something that I felt when my friends were getting engaged. I was like, does he love me if he's not proposing or if we're not doing this thing? But something that was really helpful for me, and I don't know if you do this in, in your practice, Naomi, is um, internal family systems. So really acclimating myself and really getting to know all the parts of me. So say you're someone that is not with your partner, wants to find your person, and is like, I think I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I'm unlovable. That is not the real you. That is just an aspect of you. Because when we think about the grandioseness of our soul or our higher self or who we are, that part of us is really just like an aspect of who we are. So I really got to know those different parts of me that were like, hey, when am I going to get engaged? Like, I'm afraid of this or I'm afraid of that. And by unblending them from me and seeing them as like an aspect of me, I was able to really work with that and learn to love all parts of me, even those scared parts of me, even those like crazy parts of me, even those emotional parts of me, whatever parts of me there were that were coming up through the process of engagement or marriage or even being single, by getting to know them, I could love them or I could understand them and know that like I was big enough or I was strong enough as the higher self or the capital S self type person to work with that energy and like know that that's not me. It's just an experience I'm having. I think that's such a interesting, great way to look at things. Because my other thing that I was going to ask you guys about, which you kind of just answered, was the idea that, you know, you can be happy being single while also want to be in a relationship and how you sort of, how do you make sense of that in your mind? Because I remember kind of having that feeling too of like, I'm not fully happy because I do want to meet someone. I don't want to be continuing on this exact path, but I also want to not need someone, need to meet someone to be happy. So it's like you're fighting in your own head. But what you just said is sort of like, I think the best way to make sense of it is like, there are parts of me that wants to be like mm -hmm. in a relationship in this way. And then there's parts of me that love my single life and love being with myself and being alone with myself and enjoy my own company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, with that, it's like, I think sometimes we get scared like, oh, if I like being single too much, then I'm never going to find the person. Yes. Cause I like, it's like, it's such a funny thing how we always in our mind, our mind is really smart at preventing us from being happy and preventing us from being content. And that's the ego mind that really doesn't want us to feel content or happy because then it has no job, essentially. So it's just so funny how it's like, oh, if I get happy being alone, then I'm going to be alone forever. Or if I get happy doing this, then this bad thing will happen. And I think it's really normal. But what I've seen is the people in my life, and Lindsay's such a perfect example, that have learned to accept who they are or love themselves alone or single, there is like a magnetism and there is a peace that you can tell in their soul and their heart and then they usually magnetize their partner. It's like that oxymoron of most of my friends being like, yep, the day that I said, you know what, I might be single forever and I'm done looking is like the day that they their partner came back into their life or something essentially happened that gave them that, you know, divine relationship that they were looking for. But I totally hear you. That's so real. And I think the aspects of being single, it's like, what what are the aspects of being single that you love? What are the aspects of being in a relationship that you love. 
all of those things are going to live within both scenarios. So especially in relationship, like my fiance and I like definitely have carved out time where we go and do our own thing like on a Saturday for a few hours, knowing that the goal is like to have a little bit of alone time, to be in our own energy, to kind of, you know, check in with our own thoughts because we're living together. It's a lot of overlap. And so I love that, like the aspects of my single time, which was like, I love being alone. I love, you know, I kind of love doing my thing. I bring into the relationship and same with if you're single, you know, the aspects of a relationship that you love or desire, let's bring that into your, the relationship with yourself or maybe with your friends or family, like really being able to bring those aspects and alchemize into your present situation i think is really really key because then we're not coming from a place of lack of like i don't have this yet like we do but right. there's kind of these conditions we place around it so it's like but i have to be in a relationship in order to feel that it makes me think you can be in the same exact situation alone on a walk and feel so differently about it if you're alone on a walk because you're getting finally a break from your fiance it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm, this, I'm so free. I don't have to watch this. I don't have to think about that. If you're alone on a walk with only your dog waiting for you when you get back, it feels so different. But if you can really come to that moment, just what it is, it's one foot in front of another, the breeze on your face, you're still living that same moment. And sometimes it's hard because the fear of never having it is so pervasive. And that's just in your mind. That's not mm. a reality. That fear is a virtual reality. So you, I, I really like that idea of, you know, you have both things on both sides. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of like you said in a previous episode, like you're not your feelings necessarily. Like that's not, doesn't just because you're feeling them doesn't mean it's true. I had to learn that, you know, in my life, I remember I've I can, I'm such an emotional being. And I remember <laughs> thinking in high school, I'm like, I am a piece of work because I just would be like up, down, all around, just all over the place. And it would almost scare me. And then I learned to meditate and learn mindfulness and, you know, began my spiritual path. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, these emotions are temporary. And sometimes they're not mine. Sometimes they're my husband. Sometimes they're my best friend. Sometimes they're the person around me. Sometimes it's my period. Sometimes it's the moon. Sometimes it's what I ate. Sometimes it's what I slept, what I'm doing to sleep. So how can I make sure to like understand and be kind to myself so I can note who, again, when I'm talking about the internal family systems, like who am I? I am like calm, stable, peace. And then who is like this aspect of me or what is this aspect of me, this feeling? Because we can't trust all of our feelings. You know, the person or part of us that's like, I'm going to be single forever and no one's ever going to love me and I'm never going to have a family is like, an aspect it's not the truth like that's again the virtual reality that you're talking about that's not truth we cannot found that in any truth at all so how can we learn to trust just the peace of ourselves and really get to know the peace of ourselves rather than these like anxious thoughts or parts of us i think the listeners are going to be very happy with that assessment <laughs> i think no it's, i think it's a great explanation of it and mm -hmm. it relates to a lot of the stuff we've been saying but i think it takes it even even further. I do want to get to our game. So we want to play with you guys. I'm very interested to hear how Curious you rank these triggers. <laughs> say about all these scenarios. Let's do it. Game time, baby. I'm going to read you a scenario. You can let me know how triggering you think it should be on a scale of one to 10 of one 
actually not a really a big deal at all or 10 like anyone on this earth would be triggered by this i would say okay so my ex-boyfriend from high school early college who i dated for three years recently got engaged we are 27 now so it's been a number of years but i still follow him on instagram as well as many friends and family members as well my mom commented congratulations <laughs> on his engagement post i was like excuse me but is that really necessary but I felt petty, so I didn't say anything to her at first. But then I had multiple friends and siblings mention that they saw her comment. And I was like, you know what? I'm saying something. I casually said, Mom, was that comment really necessary? It's my ex-boyfriend. It's weird that you did that. She didn't really understand why it bothered me. I think she just said something along the lines of, but aren't you happy for him? And it's just an Instagram comment. I wasn't exactly upset with her, but I thought it was just so eye roll inducing and such a classic example of baby boomers not understanding what actions on social media mean. It's like when my dad comes to my apartment and doesn't understand why New Yorkers don't say hi to each other in the elevator. How <laughs> triggered should I have been? By the way, I would have just been totally fine with her just liking the picture. And also, I'm single, by the way. <laughs> what if she was like, I'm married? <laughs> I'm married and I have a family. <laughs> I mean, my mom comments all the time and, and thinks it's a private message. So maybe that was the deal. But I totally think it's legitimate. That would totally trigger me. And it is never easy to see an ex get married. I'm sorry. It is very rarely something that initially you're like, oh, yay. I only felt that way like 10 years out, to be completely honest. There's just something. I feel like everyone is in your life for a reason and them not choosing or not being with you touches that little part of you that is like younger and still kind of like reacts from that place of like 25 in my case. And yeah, it hurts. And I totally get it. And I think being straight up with mom is the way to go and really sharing like, this is how it made me feel rather than don't do this. That's stupid. It's right. just like this. You're weird. Instead of saying mm -hmm. you're <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. That would definitely, I think the best case scenario with an ex getting married, the best case is like neutrality is totally. like not being annoyed to be happy for an ex getting married. I feel like you would have had to have really done a number on them. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. to be like, that's exact. Thank God I didn't ruin their <laughs> whole life. Poor thing. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, unless you were like the really bad one in the in the relationship, right. I guess I could see that. But yeah, I think this is pretty triggering. If my if our mom did that, I think I would give it like. Would your guys' mom do that? Um, <laughs> um, possibly, maybe yes. <laughs> I think probably, but like almost to annoy us. I don't know. Maybe right. that's weird <laughs> yeah. to like troll you guys. Be like, wow, you guys. Are, she yeah. looks better. Like, What's just kind of like going on? What's the big deal. It, <laughs> yeah, it did sound yeah. almost like it was a test. Like, are you really over it? You know, mm. like, aren't you happy? I'm sure. I'm sure this person's mo mother's not evil, but I could that crossed my mind. This idea of yeah. like, well, yes. why does this bother you? It's also when it's your mom. It's like this other sense of like loyalty which yeah, maybe that's what i was gonna totally. say right that's what i was gonna say i'm like because but then you're like back in like high school you're like aren't you on my side mom <laughs> like, <laughs> like like they're still together right. but i thought about that i'm like wouldn't a mom be like oh just thinking this could potentially bother her like they're not together this and that's like when she said the response of her mom i was like oh my gosh is this my mom because it's that like <laughs> what you know, like, right. aren't you over it? I'm right. like, what? Just like a total, yeah. yeah, total disregard, total like <laughs> gaslight of your feelings. You're like, what? I don't just no regard for how you might potentially feel in that situation. And it did remind me of boomers using social media where it's like, I saw this thing 
therefore I must comment. Mm-hmm. It's like they think that everyone can see them online or everyone's going to know <laughs> like if they so completely disregarded it. something here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, it's like they can actually physically see them and it might be right. ignoring. I'm like, see this must comment is sort of what I thought about. But yeah, I think it's like, hey mom, just this isn't how we do things. But I completely understand why she would be annoyed. And then to have the friends and everyone else kind of see and comment is like, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I gotta make sure my mom's not following my exes. My mom like texts my ex all the time. She's like, tries to be like a sports mom. And she's like, yeah, how about them, you know, dolphins? Or just like, we'll like talk about like, (laughs) she'll like talk shit of sports to them. It's like very weird. That's so funny. Gosh, that is Do you care? No, not at all. I I think it's like, I love when my exes get engaged because I'm like, wow, what's this world like? I just, (laughs) like, what's this world like that you're in? Because, you know, when you're in a relationship, most of the time you're like, this is my person. We will be, you know, you kind of envision this world. And again, you create this virtual reality of your life. And when push comes to shove and your lives end up separating, it's so wild to think that there could be another timeline that you guys, that was you. I don't know. It it like trips me out. I agree. There's almost something, it can be healing, I think, in some way to realize like I thought I was so in this bubble of this thing for so Mm. long that now that it's taken this completely different turn and I'm neutral about it, like you said, anything that's bothering me right now might fall away into the abyss of that at any given point. So there's like, I think a little bit of a freedom and okay, that was something I was so focused on or really thought was a thing for so long. And now it's like, you said it's wild. It's like, poof, it's just a whole different different world, different life, different yeah. turnout than I ever thought. And there's something freeing, I think, about seeing it yeah. in that way. That's so true. It's a great point. I would give it a seven. Yeah. Out of 10? Out of 10. Yeah. Okay. 10 is the most triggering. <laughs> 10 is the most triggering. Dang. <laughs> Maybe it's okay. a six. I don't know. Hey, you you do whatever you want to do. I, just I think like, because wow. I, yeah, I would have so much, I have so much relationship or I used to have so much relationship anxiety. If I were single and my mom did that, I think I would just totally just really just <laughs> yeah. mess with me right where she wants me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's do it. Do you, you want to read the second one? Yeah, I'll read another okay. one. So in May, I had a wedding that I was a bridesmaid in. I invited one of my nursing friends to be my date. I let her know a month and a half in advance and said that it would be out of town an hour away, that she wouldn't be by herself except during the reception. She agreed she'd go. A day before the wedding, I asked if she was still going. Again, she said yes. The day of the wedding, she texted me and said she was not coming because she's quote unquote been driving a lot all week and was tired. The next day, she drove to her mom's pool party, which is 30 minutes away. She's been my friend through nursing school, and maybe that's just that. She's a friend that I had through a phase in my life. I was just irritated because I gave her enough time in advance to plan accordingly, and I would never cancel on someone the day of when someone is expecting me to be there. And the fact that the next day she drove to a pool party, should I be triggered? Thank you both for all you do. What do you guys think? I would say this, see, it's funny because this one triggers me more because, yeah, this one triggers me more because I think there's like a female relationship thing. And me and Lindsay talk a lot about like female friendships on the podcast. And I think it's such an important part of our lives. And it's such a tricky thing to navigate sometimes. Like my friendships are the best. They give me so much joy. But there's also that like honesty and integrity part where you're like, is this person going to show up for me the way I show up for them? Are they going to, you know, be there for me the way I am for them? And to feel like you're not being supported or you're not being seen or you're not being 
respected or held in the same way that you would do that for someone is a really big bummer. And it can be really, really heartbreaking. Like I find that to be incredibly heartbreaking. Although this person I'm sure is like, hey, you know what? I don't know this couple really well. She's gonna be gone. She's gonna be with the bride. Like she's not gonna be hanging out with me. I don't really wanna go, which makes total sense from my perspective. But to do it on the day of is, you know, kind of a bummer and just not really good communication ethic. But I do think that there should be a conversation where it's like, hey, you said you were coming and you didn't and you did end up driving and you went somewhere. Like, what was the deal? What was really going on? So you both can come to a place where you have a greater understanding. Because if this person is a real friend, you guys, I'm hopeful, can get over this by having, you know, a real honest talk. It's funny. I didn't even, my initial thought was not even to think about what her friend thought about the the day, but that's probably a very accurate assessment of how right. she thought of like kind of blowing it off. Like, I don't really want to go. I'm going to, her excuse almost like, it was almost like so bad that it kind <laughs> of seems accurate. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like driving? she actually just. Did, yeah. Like, it's like too honest to be honest. She's like, I don't right. want to drive. It's like, what? I'm like, say you have COVID. <laughs> Sometimes you're like, I right. I almost wish you lied so that 100%. I wouldn't have to think yeah. about how much, how annoying this is for me. Like it would be less annoying if, if I almost thought that you cared enough to make up something that was, oh, yeah. I literally, I was like it was a little bit too honest it's like you know what i'm tired this doesn't seem interesting <laughs> right, yeah. it's like okay right i feel like this isn't as triggering to me because i'm working on it should be more triggering i feel like to me but i'm working on not just taking note and kind of creating distance so like that situation i would have been like huh okay note taken they right. don't really respect like all the chances i've given them to like tell me the truth, change the plans, communicate properly with me, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just take note and create a little distance. Whereas what Krista said, I think is a bit more of a conscious approach, which is like expressing how it made you feel and kind of taking it from there, like providing that opportunity for growth between you and then seeing where it goes. But my tendency is to like, I don't know, it like rubs me the wrong way. I'm already, I'm already like over it. Over them. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. yeah. Lindsay's like, oh, well, bye. I'm like, <laughs> Another friend. Why do you do this to me? I'm so like, <laughs> it sounds like she's ready to write it off. Like, even in the way she talks yeah. about the friendship, it sounds like she's halfway re- thinking that yeah. friend. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is what, you know, what I think, and Krista and I have experienced this. We just did a, an episode on friendship breakups. And this is like a part of of life where yeah. I'm not saying that this situation warrants a friendship breakup, but I do believe that as we become more aware of, yeah, what we require in relationship that we don't put up with as much bullshit and we're not just friends with people by proxy and by like being their roommate for a few mm-hmm. years. Like we really can become a bit more selective and intentional. And I think in doing that and also in just being more of yourself, friendships kind of fall off. And so a friend that is kind of flaky like that, I don't know. I'm just like not down to like really invest a ton of time if that's a consistent thing. Right. I feel like the ways that you both kind of differently handled this was sort of in my mind, like I think my debate whenever I feel like something similar happens to me, I'm like, should I confront them and tell them how it made me feel and then like give them an opportunity to explain themselves? Or should I just like put a note in their file of like, you're the kind of person that does this and I'll remember and like, I'll just secretly, you know, like hold a little resentment, but I also don't care that much because yeah. like, again, I'm not really sure if it's worth getting into. 
So I think that kind of perfectly displays the debate in my head over Mm -hmm. most of these scenarios. And I don't know what's best because, you know, some people can't really handle a conversation like and like sometimes with my if I was to approach, it's like it's just a little much. Sometimes it's like, hey, just let stuff go. So I think there's the part of me that wants to let more things go and really just be like, huh, this is like how that person is. But if it's a a pattern and you want that person in your life, I think a conversation is is worthwhile. And then I was thinking about it with this girl. Like, I'm curious how the wedding went, not having a date. I actually think when you're in the wedding party, it might've been better and more fun without a date. Cause then you could really be there for the bride. You could really just like let her rip, not have to worry. Like there might've been that part of her that would be worried about her friend that didn't know anyone at the wedding anyways, especially when she's in the bridal party. Totally. What came to mind along those lines is I think one of the more triggering things for me would be having to show up and give this lame excuse. If someone asks where she is like, Oh, she didn't come because she didn't feel like driving. (laughs) Like (laughs) I would have been like, she has COVID or something. Right. Then you're like, you know, throwing your friend under the bus to someone else. And you know, it's embarrassing for you. Yeah. That's actually, you know what the biggest problem is, is that's like a hundred dollar plate. Totally. At a wedding, yeah, that's a big. That's a, that's the issue. Is that that was that costs money? Yeah, for right. The bride. And that's <laughs> that I think is. where the anger comes from. Not even about the money, but just about like the idea that the other person wouldn't think of anyone in the scenario besides yes. themselves. And it's almost like, is that a personality trait? Because I don't want to fight with you about something that's just a personality trait. Because that's not worth it. But if it's like, if it's circumstantial, I can tell you how I made it. You, you feel, but if you're just kind of someone who doesn't care about how your actions affect anyone else, then I can kind of like, like that would be an amazing text just to be like, is this a personality trait or (laughs) like, (laughs) just let me know (laughs) something in your situation. I don't know. I I would be very annoyed about this one. If I saw the picture from the pool party, I would, Mm -hmm. I would be, I would be at an eight, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'd be at a, I think I'd be at a seven. That one would trigger me. I'm four right now. Yeah. She's dead to Lindsay. You guys live in LA, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm do. in New York. Right. Oh, you're in New York. Okay. I was going to make it like in LA, you guys let things go or less like, mm. like uh, cynical and angry, but I guess Not me. you're in New York. That yeah. doesn't really click. Okay. <laughs> All right. Do we have time for another one? Yeah, let's do one more. Let's do it. My brother, who is two years older than me and someone that I've always been close to, got married one year ago. Although my sister-in-law, who is my age, 25, is overall a decent person, she recently stirred up quite a bit of drama on my 25th birthday, and I have had a hard time getting over it. A couple of hours before my friends were supposed to arrive for my birthday pregame, my brother and sister-in-law called to ask if they could sleep over as their air conditioning was not working. I explained that I was pretty stressed about getting ready for the pregame and that since I live in a tiny one-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment, I really would rather not have them stay over. My brother said that he totally understood and that it was no problem while my sister-in-law remained silent. The night after my party, my mom called to say that my brother and sister-in-law stopped by the Burbs to see her that day and that throughout their very long visit, my sister-in-law could not stop talking about how rude and inconsiderate it was of me to turn down their request to stay at my apartment. According to my mom, while my brother tried to defend me and explained that it wasn't really a big deal, my sister-in-law continued to bash me and went as far as saying that I can really act like a bitch sometimes and that my brother shouldn't help me with anything ever, like replacing my bike tires, which my brother gladly volunteered to do for me months ago. My mom said that she felt awful hearing her spew so much hate and that my brother also felt uncomfortable. 
I personally think she crossed a line and know that my brother wouldn't dare say anything bad about my sister-in-law's siblings as he is self-aware enough to know that that is inappropriate. She clearly overreacted slash over-exaggerated, and now, one month later, we act as if nothing ever happened. I know I should just put it in the past, but it still boils my blood knowing that she was essentially shit-talking me to my own family after I've been nothing but kind to her since the moment I met her. How triggered should I be? I think triggered is an interesting word to describe this. I think it's more so, it's layered. It's like confusion as to why your brother is with someone (laughs) who would who would kind of react in that way. But also I think, you know, if you're just making it between you and the sister-in-law, it's like hurt. That's like really hurtful to talk to other family members who are her blood and call her the B word. I think that's incredibly disrespectful and deserves like a very direct conversation, just one-on-one. I don't think there should be anyone else. Well, maybe listening in, just for just for backing up purposes but um just a one-on-one like direct conversation when you're out of the intense emotion so if you can come to it a bit more neutrally where it's like man she must really be either unhappy hurting whatever to call me a bitch after all that you know i've been nice to her i think you can come to that conversation and just say you know i would be surprised if you wouldn't think that my family would tell me what you said about me during that visit and i just wanted to talk about that day and just how hurtful that was to hear that and um, how we can kind of move on from here because I'm really having a hard time you know and the fact that she's older is a little disturbing so it's weird for me for this one she's done like this is where in this situation (laughs) I'm like oh you're done you're off the island because there's so many levels to the inappropriateness and the unself-awareness like not being aware there's you know asking the day of there's asking someone who lives in a studio, asking someone on their birthday. So that's three things. An ask on the birthday, an ask when they live in a studio, an ask on the day of. And then there's talking shit to the mom. Right. Her Like if you're going to talk shit to someone, talk shit to your own mom. Right. Literally. You need friends. <laughs> if you are talking shit to their mom, you need friends that you can process with and that you can vent to and you can say whatever. And it's fine if you have feelings about the situation that's completely fine for you to express or be in whatever energy, but I would never talk bad about someone's family, even to the husband. I'd have a really hard time Mm -hmm. being like, hey, your sister's this or your sister's that or to the mom too, because there's so, so much unconscious things happening going on with that, but it makes the brother feel uncomfortable. It makes him feel like he has to pick sides. It makes the mom uncomfortable. You're like bringing the energy down. It's very, that would be like done for me to be honest. Well, it's so hard because she's your sister-in-law. So it's like I'm good unless they're divorced. <laughs> like where is she? Where is she going? Right. That's the I tough thing know. with these. Fa- that's what makes it so yeah. much worse when it's these family things too, yeah. and it be- creates that's like then true. all these layers. So let's even if she says something to her, then she throws her mom under the bus for telling her, and then the sister-in-law is mm. also mad at the mom, and then it creates this like I mean, if the sister-in-law is mad at the mom, feud. <laughs> right. right? That I mean, is why delusional. Yeah, I know. Yeah, hundred percent. And not to pour fuel on this fire, but. My thought was when I read this was this seems like this went on too long that the mother or the brother should have ended this conversation prior to the whole day of her spewing. Like I would be a little bit annoyed that they allowed her so much airspace personally, because what happens is once you open that door and she feels like there's space for her to do that. Now there's going to, she's going to realize that there's going to, 
that they're a sounding board for her to complain about their daughter slash sister. So I think that that there should be some conversation. It doesn't have to be anti, how dare you this, but just, can you explain to me how that went down that she was able to do that for like two hours or however long they were hanging out? Like what Mm -hmm. was that conversation like? And I feel really hurt that you didn't end it sooner because it gives her the wrong idea that you were open to receiving all of that from her. So true. And it makes me think about like the power dynamic, whether this person within her own marriage is like kind of intense and overpowering or whether she's just overpowering in general and just kind of like steamrolls any situation. I'm just curious, but I completely agree. There should not have been that much airtime. Naomi, what would be a good way to stop that? You know, because I'm actually trying to think of what kind of verbiage or language I could use in that situation. If I was the husband, (laughs) if I was the brother, (laughs) and that was the wife or the mom, like what could they say to her to make that stop? Yeah, I think a good way, and this is what I do often, and I recommend to a lot of people is just literally, if it's someone that loves you, and that you're in a close relationship with just literally telling them how you feel like, physically feel in that moment. I am starting to feel really tense listening to you. I'm starting to feel nauseous. I'm starting to feel like my heart rate is rising as I hear you saying this. And that might be a good indicator without having to say anything else for them to realize like this is upsetting me. Or you could just simply say, I'm starting to get really upset by this conversation or you know, something like that. And If she wants to leave space to say, I was really disappointed that your sister didn't let us stay, that's fine. That's okay. I was really disappointed that your sister didn't let us stay there. But the ranting and going on and using, like you said, like bad words about her like that, you could reach a point where he at first or the mother would say, this conversation is really upsetting me. And, you know kind of let them know right off the bat, like, I'm not just open to this isn't like we're having a blast here. Like, Right. You know? Yeah. That's a great term Mm -hmm. to use that in front of certain people in our family. (laughs) Right. I think sometimes if somebody loves you and they realize, like, I'm literally starting to feel, like, nauseous because of the way that you're interacting or, like, I'm starting to, you know, and it helps you kind of turn into your body, which is something I talk about a lot when you're dealing with emotions is realizing that they really live in your body. So Mm -hmm. starting to say you know, just explaining how you feel physically is a way of saying like, you're affecting me negatively with your words. Um, Without escalating it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is probably like, I mean, I guess it's her husband's issue to deal with her for like, for like their lives in terms of like how that's how she's reacting. But like, I think it's especially probably helpful if you're like the mother-in-law because like she doesn't have to even be the one to like, get involved in that she could just say like you're not going to do this around me basically. right yeah and that's that an is. option too you could just like set the boundary or just say this conversation is really upsetting me or i don't feel okay letting you talk about my daughter like this any of those i think are okay too sometimes some people really and it sounds like this person might be one of them that does respond to a little bit more of a firm approach, which is I'm not going to let you speak about my daughter like this. Like some people would need that before they'll back off. Whereas if you say this conversation is really like, it's actually making me nauseous, or it's actually starting to make my, my heart rate go up. Some people might just not even respond to that because it's not enough of a boundary. Do you think she should talk to the sister-in-law directly or should she talk to her brother is my question. Cause I'm kind of Mm -hmm. like, 
if the sister-in-law is truly like as awful as she makes her seem, I'm kind of like, maybe that wouldn't even work. Like maybe mm. she should get the brother to do something with it. He is involved. It did happen around him. And she could tell him, cause it sounds like he really loves her and cares about her. She said they were close that, you know, he could, and he knows the girlfriend well or the wife. Well, I don't know. That was my other thought, but yeah. maybe you're, I mean, I wasn't sure like, should she go right to the source or should she go to the brother? I feel like sometimes the brothers are kind of useless. <laughs> like it's kind of like they lack the skills to like see the nuance or like understand the energetics of like two women kind of going into mm-hmm. a conversation. Like they're a little bit too like surface and kind of direct. They're like, well, you know, she said this or she said this. And it's kind of hard because you're like, how do we see and understand the nuance of the situation when we as women are really all about that? So I think there could be, depending on his like ability to be um, in his own truth and to sort of discern what's his and what's hers and then what's hers. Because if he's able to be like, you know, this is actually how I feel, this is what we said, and this is sort of what we're going to do moving forward, I think that's great. But it might be good to just clear the air with the the in-law, the sister-in-law, just because you'll be able to get directly to the source and really see where the situation is at and really see where she's at and really just tell her directly rather than I think it seems like with her type of energy, if you talk to the brother, she might feel like, oh, she talked to you, but she didn't talk to me. It might sort of continue to create an energy of this weird triangulation that's sort of happening with the family. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot more potential to actually repair if she goes directly to the sister-in-law versus if she goes to the brother-in-law and he does it the best case scenario is they have like a little argument and she says, fine, I won't do that again or whatever versus an actual conversation where she says, you know, I just felt really, I thought we were family. We really needed you or she has a place. Look, I think she has a little bit of a point. Mm-hmm. I know maybe you guys disagree, but I'm kind of like if somebody's AC doesn't work and it's one night, maybe she could have just like let them crash and maybe she felt really rejected. It's not easy to ask someone that sometimes And then she asked and she said, so whatever it is, she has a perspective that she would have an opportunity to actually share that might make her feel a little bit better about the whole thing. So I agree. I think there's the best shot at really fixing this if she went directly to the sister-in-law. The easier thing, I think, would be to let the two of them fight it out and then you can just, you know, sit back and hope that things change. Totally. Yeah, you'd probably have the most productive conversation if you did come to the situation with her and you were like, hey, I know that you know, may have really hurt your feelings when I didn't let you stay. And I can understand why you'd be upset in that situation. Like I found that if I'm able to come and recognize why someone's upset or even apologize, like, you know, I'm so sorry that I couldn't have you. The quality of conversations from repair are literally 4 billion times better than if you're like, hey, you really hurt my feelings, which is a truth. And you're taking ownership. But if you can see the other person's side at the beginning of a conversation, it's wild how much more productive and harmonious a conversation can be. Totally agree. Definitely softens the whole thing. It makes it less like antagonistic Mm -hmm. in any scenario. But that's it for our triggered scenarios. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had (laughs) such a good time. I mean, I can speak for myself. I think I could speak for you, Naomi. Like This was such a good conversation, Crystal Lindsay. If you guys haven't listened to the Almost 30 podcast, Please listen now. You're going to love it. If you love this show, you're going to love their show. And where can they find the podcast? Where can they find you guys? Oh, we've had such a blast. This was so fun. We can't wait to have 
more of these. Totally. So many more conversations that I have in mind for Truly, you guys after I know, listening. Same. So. Ditto. Almost 30 podcasts on Instagram. And you can learn more about Almost 30. Uh, we have courses and programs and membership, all the things at almost30.com. And I'm on Instagram at Lindsay Simpson. And I'm at it's Krista with a K. Awesome. Thank you guys again. And we will see you next week. All right. That's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Picot, and Rebecca Salz-McCown. Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. Thank you to our sponsor, First Response. A lot of us test more than once. That's why First Response created the Triple Check Pregnancy Test Kit, which includes three different tests all in one box. The kit includes the early results pregnancy test, one digital pregnancy test, plus one rapid result pregnancy test that gives you fast results in just one minute on the day of your missed period or any day thereafter. Each test in the kit offers a different way to learn your results so when the time comes, you feel as confident as possible. All First Response Pregnancy Test products are available for purchase at all major retailers in-store and online. Be sure to pick one up today. Betches.